have the opportunity to dive back into some more teaching here on Purim, and one of the celebrations of Purim is giving, right? It is, yeah. which is kind of cool. God gives us his salvation. He gives us, well, everything, the very breath in our lungs. Mm. I mean, life, yes. everything. And, uh, you know, long ago, 40-some years, he uh, planted this radio station, and... You know, none of us were a part of that. We get to inherit that mm-hmm. and carry that forward. And he also planted those who would give and sow into it. And all these years, here we are. It is, uh, since I've been going almost 33 years here, it's it's a long time to watch God's miracles and his provision. So it's, you know, it's not really hard for me to, to continue that journey of asking and uh, saying, you know, would you do what would God ask us to do, which is bring a gift in proportion of the way he's blessed you. Help us uh, celebrate Purim today by the best way possible, and that's by giving. There's, I mean, I can't think of that's the best way possible to celebrate Purim, but it's a celebration. It's, it's a, a part of it, It's for a sure. time of victory, and so for us, because we even actually have the name of victory, it's easy to make a, a Purim appeal uh, as I teach along this morning for the next few hours, we need your support. It's just the something that goes with this time of year. We'll have a our spring victory partner days coming up in the end of April. So this is just uh, just before that as things get a little tighter. And uh, Kelly's upstairs, and she's available to call seven seven zero seven eight one nine one five zero. And of course, always at all times you can give online at victory radio. But I just would ask you, would you give this morning? And uh, help us to uh, continue just changing the world, seeing souls come to Jesus and bringing the encouragement and the life that comes from the music and uh, the teaching and the words of encouragement. Love that. Also, uh, love history. That's mm-hmm. uh, my favorite part of Perm, probably, is uh, just kind of understanding how it all fits together. Yeah. There's just no way you can even really grasp Purim without going back in time to kind of do a little bit of the research. Now, I kind of brought you up 700 years all the way from the time of uh, Jacob and Esau. So we're now at the time before the Egyptian captivity to when an Amalekite king killed Saul. So actually we journeyed from Egypt to that time. So, and we set the Amalekites aside for a bit because they're coming back, and I'll show you why they play a huge part of that. So, we've gone from Jacob and Esau time, 700 years. It's now 1,000 B.C. when Saul was killed, the king. That's 3,000 years ago, all right? So, you kind of have us in history. King David ascended to the throne for 40 years, followed by his son Solomon, who also ruled 40 years and built the house of Jehovah. But eventually, he fell away from God. Things ended very badly for him. So at that point in 920 B.C., Israel was broken into two separate kingdoms. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin, along with the Levites, made up the southern kingdom of Judah. The ten northern tribes split off to form the northern kingdom that's actually called Israel, which continually rebelled against God. So after 200 years of that, in 720 B.C., God cast them out of the land. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire to the north. That's a massive empire that came right before the Persian Empire. And so those ten tribes were scattered across the Assyrian kingdom, eventually assimilated, and they essentially disappeared. So then God also punished their captors 
that vast Assyrian Empire slowly unraveled as its subject peoples rebelled. It was very similar to Persia because it's the same territory. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar seized control of Babylon and then the whole kingdom of Assyria and with the help from the Medes and Persians and various groups that were in the kingdom. And, so, and then you have the kingdom of Persia. Meanwhile, the kingdom of Judah stayed faithful to Jehovah for a while. It's always for a while. They made it 134 years beyond the northern kingdom until 586 B.C. when God sent King Nebuchadnezzar to invade. He destroyed the temple, took them into captivity where they would stay for the next 70 years. But during that time, God also destroyed the Babylonian Empire. He'll use them and smash them. So the uh, rebellions that were in Assyria and Persia uh, knocked down the Babylonian Empire, and they just continued to rise up across the kingdom. And a guy whose name you probably recognize, Cyrus the Great, established the beginning of the Persian kingdom in 549 B.C. Now, Cyrus was known for his mercy rather than his cruelty. He was a pretty good king. And one of the most incredible Bible prophecies, 150 years before Cyrus lived, God called him by name in Scripture. I mean, mind-blowing. Six times. And gave details of the king's future decree Mm. to free the Jews to Isaiah. Here's what it says in Isaiah 44 and 45. This is what Jehovah says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. 150 years before he's born. It's like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> This is why we love history. Right <laughs> it here, is, yeah. right? So needless to say, it caught Cyrus's ear. And in 538 B.C., King Cyrus permitted the Jews to return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. But despite the profound prophecies and miraculous deliverance, Would you believe many Jews refused to return to the land of Israel? They weren't interested. A significant number of Jews stayed and made Persia their permanent home. So as we arrive at the book of Esther in the Bible, the events take place in Persia and those Jews who have decided to make it their home for good. So we're about 60 years past the time of Cyrus. His grandson, Darius the Great, has spent years trying and failing to quell rebellions in Greece and Egypt. And as Darius is preparing to <laughs> launch another war against Greece, that was like their favorite opponent, I think, a revolt was rising in Egypt. But his health failed, and he died before he could leave. So the historical backdrop for Perm's story is just after Darius died in 486 B.C., his son Xerxes, also called Ahasuerus, came to the throne immediately took his army to Egypt and successfully quelled the rebellion. So, as the book of Esther begins, chapter 1 takes place when Xerxes is back home to celebrate the victories in Egypt. And, of course, to raise an even larger army, which he's going to use to attack Greece, because that's what they do. And what came to be known as the infamous Battle of Thermopylae against the Spartans. Now, this is probably more of a guy thing, but the modern telling of the story is the 300, right? Mm-hmm. 300 Spartans. There's actually thousands of them, but send a bunch of them home so that everyone doesn't get killed. And 300 Spartan warriors led by King Leonidas stood their ground in this narrow pass against Xerxes. And he's got tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. I mean... It's not like you're just a little outnumbered here. I mean, it's like 10,000 to one. Well, they wouldn't have made a movie otherwise, so, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What, what good's the story? <laughs> but 
You've probably seen the memes. If you didn't see the movie, you've probably seen the memes. A Persian messenger describes to King Leonidas the futility of the resistance and tells him, this is madness. To which Leonidas responds, this is Sparta. Right. Except he screams it. Meaning, death is a suitable ending. So, you know, when somebody does something stupid and you, you can send that meme to him, this is Sparta. And that's what you're... You still, <laughs> you'll, you'll prove that you're historically really brilliant. So, needless to say, the Spartans were massacred. And Athens was captured, burned by Xerxes. But within a year, the Greeks reclaimed their kingdom. So there's really no end to the Greek rebellion. So the rest of the events of Purim with Esther all occurred after Xerxes returns from his battles and the Greeks had reclaimed the kingdom. So he was happy guy and now not as happy anymore. But And he's going to continue to face these rebellions. So you have to understand kind of the climate of this time. So that's the atmosphere. When he eliminates a disobedient queen, replaces her with Esther, rewards her uncle Mordecai for preventing his assassination because these revolts are happening, and then the evil Haman can stoke this idea of a Jewish rebellion to convince the king of the importance of annihilating the Jews. So this is where all this comes from. Mm-hmm. All this is this battle of Thermopylae and all that's going on with this massive armies and stuff. So as we continue the journey, that's that's the true historical background to it. So it, I, I think it helps to make it all understandable mm-hmm. and well a little more logical if you kind of put it into history. So now... We'll jump into, when I come back, the story of Esther and how it all falls down and what Purim is and why we celebrate. Well, the stage is now set.